Good morning, everyone. Um, you guys ever watch that show, The Weakest Link? I consider myself the weakest link. You know, I work with Pastor James and Pastor Ben. These are men are tremendous men of the word, and I feel like I'm barely a minor leaguer trying to make it in the big leagues with these men. But, but by the grace of God, I'm able to speak to you, and and I do this because I love God's word. I love its authority, that it is a governing uh, rule on the church and our individual lives, because we could rely on it as a source, sole source of truth. Not that we we not we are not to base our lives upon man's views or opinions, but we re- rely solely on Scripture to guide our lives. It is authority in which we live. So as Christians, that we can come here and allow God's Word to guide us. So this is why I humbly come before you, so that the God would do help me to do the work this day. So let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this worship. We thank you for your Word being shared this morning. I pray that you would just um, carry out your purpose through a sinful man that I may speak the words of God and that, that your word would go forth and penetrate the hearts of man. That we rely on your strength and your power alone. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk about the heart today. Heart is a vital part of our anatomy. It is, you know, I know how, it is, how important the heart is. It's actually been one year to the day yesterday I had my heart surgery. Those of you who don't know, I had heart surgery a year ago on June 7th. And, um, you know, physiologically, heart is crucial, absolutely crucial to one's life, one's health, and it is obvious. I remember about a year plus ago, uh, I started feeling chest pains when I started working out. I just thought I was just kind of winded, tired. But it came to a point where it started happening when I was walking, going upstairs, and these just regular things of life, it started reoccurring. To a point where it broke the straw was I was driving and driving to work and it happened. And I remember that morning I was to go to a meeting. I told them I couldn't be here and I called my wife and took me to the emergency room. And um, that day, even when I went to the emergency room, they took tests. They drew my blood and they took all kinds of tests. didn't reveal much. It didn't have, I didn't have a heart attack. And they checked they did an EKG. Those doctors know what that is. They couldn't, doesn't, didn't reveal much. And it was negative. So they put me on a treadmill. And they had like seven people monitoring me, you know, with all these things on your body. So I ran for about seven minutes. And the pain came back. But on the, um, even on the treadmill, the, the data didn't show anything wrong. So the doctor, thank God, he said, let's keep you overnight and do an angiogram. So the angiogram, they go through your leg, your groin area, and should have died all the way up to your heart. And they could see, and they have, I remember having these, all these x-ray machines. There must have been about seven or eight of them, I think. And it takes every view of the heart and checks that out and see where the, uh, where the problem is. And that's when they found blockage. And in the same test, you know, the Laker coach, Phil Jackson, had they found the blockage, the same test he had. And, they told me that the next day they need, we needed to do a triple bypass. So, but thankfully, 
through grace of God, due to surgery, I was able to find out what was wrong. But one thing bad about it is when you have surgery like that, it knocks you out for a while. You, I couldn't do anything physically. I could barely, I had to learn to walk again. I had a nurse walking down the aisle with me. And I could maybe go about 20, 30 feet and I had to come back. And I did that many times. I had an oxygen machine on me while I'm doing this too. So you become, basically become an invalid due to your heart. I, I came home. They told me not to go upstairs. I had to take showers sitting down. That was kind of fun. That was kind of easy sitting down. You're relaxing. <laughs> so, but, and you couldn't lift. The instructions were for eight weeks, don't lift anything more than five pounds. So I had something to prove this week. On the day that I went to the hospital, one year anniversary, I went to the gym, and for the glory of God, I decided to do the whole stack of weights. And, you know, for the glory of God, I was able to do it. I felt a little like Samson at that moment. <laughs> so I praised God for all by myself, like early in the morning. But it is, again, the heart condition of a man. I was talking about physically. The heart condition, spiritual heart condition of man is more important. Where you are in your heart condition is critical, absolutely critical for our lives. If your heart condition of man is right before God, is fertile before God, regardless of what happens physically, that you are rich, that you have true health, just as a background to this text, Luke 8, this parable. Then by now, at this time, Jesus had chosen the twelve. And in the preceding context, all three of the gospel accounts, it is recorded in Matthew, Mark, on the synoptic gospels, and Luke. There's a strong resistance to Christ's teaching, his ministry, especially the opposition coming from the Pharisees. The clash between them was clearly evident. In Luke 5, we see when Christ claims to have authority to have give forgiveness for sins, that clashed. His association with sinners, that clashed. His failure to keep the Sabbath according to their prescription, that clashed. And many others. By this point, the Matthew's account tells us by this time the Pharisees had set out to kill Christ to put him to death. That we learn at this time this particular parable and the shift gears is Christ is probably in, um, ending his ministry in, in his uh, Galilean ministry. He's concluding it from his probably was near his home probably from his vantage point. He might have seen a farmer out across the field in watching a scene unfold, a farmer sowing his seeds from his vantage point. Maybe a farmer carrying a grain over his shoulder or his hand by his side, spreading it, tossing everywhere around the field. But in a large crowd began to gather along the Sea of Galilee. So you find our Lord who was necessary to speak on this. This parable of the soils in all three Gospels is very consistent. This, this, the importance of this parable is that story is, this story is a changing point in Jesus' ministry. 
he began after this teaching mostly in a parable form. This parabolic teaching ministry took an emergence in midst of what I said before, the hostility of the opposition of the nation of Israel. When he began teaching in the beginning of his ministry, he spoke to people more in forms of just plain language. He made strong declarations about humanity and kingdom of God. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount. But change began to take place. Although Jesus had longed to open people's hearts, the crowds, but they were more interested in his miracles, his deeds, the outward workings, rather than the genuine changing of one's heart. He became sort of like, to them, like an attraction. The heart condition wasn't changing at all. People had shut their minds, turned off their ears to the word of Jesus. They focused on more on the deeds. So in this text, Jesus is telling his disciples this. He's using, he uses this to design, to cloud or veil the truth to those whose hearts are not fertile and to reveal, reveal it to those whose heart conditions are fertile, are right heart conditions. So we go to the text. The parable addresses a broad character of one's response throughout one's life, especially in light of the gospel, God's word. So I want to talk about four sections. I want to divide this text into four sections today. Number one, the four eyes. Remember four eyes. First one is illustration. Second one is intention. Third is interpretation. And the fourth is the implications. Now, some people call this text the parable of the sower, but it's actually the focus is it's a parable of the soil. Actually, you could say the condition of the soil. So, this parable describes what becomes of the seed sown in four different types of soil and the result of them. So, let's discuss what happens. The four, um, what begins with the four uh, seeds, four types of seeds in four different types of soil. Verse 5, text says, The seed fell on the path and it was trampled, it was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. In ancient Palestine, it was common to have fields. You know, if you've seen a farmland, there are fields in the middle and there's like a grid line of, of pathways where people walk on. And so obviously the sower wants to cover every area so it will f- go over the fringe and maybe land on, on the road where people would walk. So these seeds which fell on those roads would be trampled on by people, destroyed on the edge of the roads, walked on by people. And also, if they're not deeply embedded, if they're just on the surface on like a harder ground, the birds come and they take it up. And it is unavoidable. You know, people, there's traffic and birds are everywhere. We know that out here. If you just throw a piece of bread out there, the birds will come. So downfall comes in this sense from outside influences. In verse 6, we see the second type of soil. It says, seed fell on the rock, and when it came up, it withered because he had no moisture. 
So a portion of the seeds would land on soil, which the top soil was very thin. The coverage was very thin. Right beneath it was a rocky layer. Okay, and again, in ancient Palestine, it's a very rocky area. And it is common among, where, common area where some fields have very small layer of topsoil. So there's thin layers, so what would the seed would do? It would uh, start to germinate quickly. It would sprout up, but because of the hard beneath, surface beneath, like limestone, it won't be able to take root, therefore it won't last long. So it's like a short spur. Okay, there's a flash of brilliance, it comes up, but it withers away. It withers away because it can't stand on its own, but the harsh sun in the Middle East, the, sprout, the plant sprouts up, but ultimately because of heat and lack of moisture, because there's no root, it dies. In the third soil, third instance, the seed fell among the thorns and grew up, but with it it choked. In many fields, and same as in ancient Near East, there are weeds and um, there are thorns, and there's many of them are very high. You know, if you ever owned a house, sometimes the weeds could grow out of control. We don't know where they come from, but you know they're there. And just about every field is almost impossible to keep away all the weeds. The farmers or those who are in agriculture or maybe you own a little home, have a backyard, you fight them all the time. You know, Home Depot makes a ton of money on weed killers. You know? you, people fight those all the time. So ones that land between these things or near these weeds have difficult time because these weeds take what? All the nourishment, all the moisture, all the sunlight, takes up, absorbs space for themselves. So its neighbor, the seeds which landed on, became neighbors of these thorns and these weeds would die because lack of nourishment. Again, this is sort of an outside factor does them in and it keeps them from producing what it was intended to, a grain, maybe a fruit, whatever the farmer was planting. But now we switch gear to the fourth type of soil, fourth um, case in verse 8. You see, the seed fell on good soil and grew it, and it produced hundred times as much grain. So all these chances, you know, there's all these obstacles. It gets to a point, it lands on good soil, with good base, without interruption, uh, distractions or around them, without weeds. It plants itself, and it grows, and it grows favorably. You know, they say in, in that area of the world, about there's, for every seed, for one seed, there's about one in eight chance um, that a seed would take root and actually grow and produce something. So it's very rare, very rare. The farmer, if he's calculating to have hundred seeds grow up and to make profit from or to live from, you have to plant 800 of them in order to get that hundred. So you have to calculate that. So it is very difficult. And this is where, having told the story, Christ says, he exclaims the point by adding, he who has ears, hear, let him hear, in verse 8. So that was the illustration, the parable. Let's go to the intention. What is the purpose of Jesus telling in this form of parable? 
you know, obviously, the disciples were sort of puzzled. They accompanied him and they inquired about it. So this is a shift. You know, the nation of Israel had not received Jesus as their Messiah. Their leaders rejected him. And become, not only did they reject him, they were hostile. They were defiant to the pointing, to the point of what? What did I say before? To put him to death. They hated him so much, they want him to put him to death, get rid of him altogether. That's how defiant they are. Not only did they reject him, they were defiant. They went one step above to annihilate him. So Jesus began to veil this teaching, his teaching, focus on his disciples, revealing more to them those who would hear. Now this reminds you of whom in the Old Testament? The Pharaoh. When God, what? Hardens his heart. In a way, that's what Jesus is doing. This heart condition, this soil is bad. Therefore, Jesus is making it even worse. That's shutting him out. He's concealing his, the mysteries of the kingdom and the truth to the unbelieving nation of Israel who in, is intensifying their efforts to get rid of Jesus, the Messiah, the King. In Luke's account, in verse 10, he gives a brief explanation. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. Christ had an intention to do this. The passage points to the fact that the rest of the people are not going to be able to understand. They have not accepted Jesus. Their soil is bad. Whatever is planted there will die for various reasons. By their choice, the Pharisees, by their choice, refuse to hear. They're shutting them out. They're shutting the words of God completely out. The truth was not able to penetrate due to their heart condition. It remained defiant. The heart condition of this man is dying. It's on its way to death. There's no transplant or bypass to save this type of heart. So there's two major intentions of Jesus. Jesus used the parables which containing mystery to remain a mystery to those who did not embrace his word. They remained unknowable to them. Secondly, Jesus used the parables to reveal the truth of the word, the word of God, to those who had right heart conditions, such as the disciples. So the two functions of that, it reveals the un, unfertile, hardened hearts of people who are resistant to his word. It, the result is the darkened heart. It is a result of the darkened heart who refused to listen. God had given these people the opportunity, but they refused. There was no avail. God incarnate. I read this morning in Colossians 1, right? God incarnate was in front of them. And I was listening to a song this morning by Jubilant Sykes. Mary, did you know? He says, Mary, did you know that when you kiss your child, he says, you're kissing the face of God. Face of God. Mary was holding God in her hands. God, 
whom this universe was made through was in front of them and they rejected them. Rejected him. That's how serious this was. And God was hardening their hearts. It is a sad story. But on the other hand, the second fertile, the second type of heart, the disciples were able to get insight into the kingdom and the heart of God. They received the divine plan. So, let's interpret this, the fourth section, the the third section, the interpretation. Now here, Christ illustrated, gave his intention, then the seed, we could say, to interpret this, is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And second, the sower, in this case, is Jesus, or anyone who would bring the Word of God to its people, who would proclaim God's Word. The thirdly, and this is the most important point, again, the soil, the focus is on the soil, and it is the heart of man. In Greek, it is cardia. That's where we get cardiology. It's cardia. It carries the connotation of spiritual. It encompasses spiritual, intellectual, volitional center of person's being. It encompasses spiritual, intellectual, volitional center of person's being. So let's talk about the four results. The first one, we call it the hardened soil or the unresponsive heart. One who's one who was carried away by the outsiders or trampled on by others. They take away, you know, along these paths again, these people whose heart may have never been open to God in the first place, who never responded positively for once. And this is a serious heart condition. This you have no hope for. You're going to die at this matter of time. Gospel or the word of God is immediately snatched from their hearts. Once it goes in, it's out the door. And sometimes this type of people, it's just difficult to hear the truth. They reject it altogether because of pride or various other things. Their minds are completely calloused, hardened as a rock. It's like a brick wall. Second in soil, is the impulsive heart. Verse 13, one who receives the truth with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They, leave, they believe for a while. In a time of testing, they fall away. It represents those hearts that are shallow. They're positive. They hear the word of God. And they're joyful. Their first response is great. But due to the inadequate grasp, they lack commitment. It's a superficial reception. They hear it, it's all good for about 30 minutes. And they cannot why. And they, they, hit, they hit a wall, they hit adversity, they hit trials, and they fall away. They buckle. It's a short-term response to faith. In my Christian life, I think many of you as well, we've seen people that fall into this category. It's sad. A lot of times, they're emotional people. Sometimes they're moved to tears even. They feel blessed by the teaching. But there's lack of endurance. They huff and puff. They can't carry on for long distance. It brings the genuineness 
of their faith? The complete question. Third soil, verse 14, lands on weedy or thorny areas, is a preoccupied heart. Verse 14, one who hears, but as they go their way, they are choked by the worries, riches, and the pleasures of life. Their fruit does not mature. Now, this person is a little bit different than the second person. It is not the adversity they struggle with. It's, it is distractions. It is with distractions they struggle with. They do not mature because there's too many distractions. It represents those people who, who completely grasp the cost of discipleship, yet never rid themselves of the baggage they hold on to. The person has too many cares and worries in life. He or she is more concerned about riches of this world, maybe materialism, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, prestige, fame, money, just lust of the heart, of things, pleasures, outgrowing, pleasures of this world, outgrowing his kingdom. The priorities are reversed. Pleasures dominate their hearts, their thoughts. They indulge in things. Maybe drunkenness, maybe drugs, maybe sexual vice, gambling, or any other indulgence. And it could lead to more subtle things. Various things in life. Entertainment, maybe games, maybe even friends. Just very foolish things, silly things of life. Occupy their time, occupy their thoughts, and completely control their minds. The amount of time they spend on pursuing these things is completely lopsided. Therefore, the, a man has only a certain amount of waking hours, like a pie chart. But if it's fully dominated by the thoughts of this world, the Word of God cannot dwell and flourish and cause its heart to mature. You know, the most dangerous aspect of this is none of these vices start big. You know, you don't overnight become a, a video game junkie, right? Or you become, I don't know, you, go, you don't all of a sudden become addicted to drugs, like doing maybe, I don't know, five kilos of cocaine or something. You start small. It's a gradualness. It's a subtlety of the heart. It grips you and grips you and grips you and then the pie chart it grips you as a whole. So it's not lack of knowledge that causes them to err. It's not lack of commitment or lack of dedication. Their hearts are almost right. But the individual never matures or produces lasting fruit because of so many distractions. It's majoring on the minors constantly. It keeps them from understanding the word, accepting the word, retaining the word, obeying the word. And that's what it requires. Then we go to the fourth soil. The good soil. This is the good part. This is a good, responsive, well-prepared heart. Verse 15 says, One who, after hearing the word, clings to it with an honest and good heart and bears fruit with steadfast endurance. Or it's his patience. This heart is prepared for what? First of all, for the gospel. Gospel penetrates and takes root. 
lives uncluttered, doesn't have other competitive interests that is even close. This soil not only brings forth life, it takes root, but it bears fruit. And this is the goal of discipleship, right? It bears fruit in a Christian's life. This is a heart, that, heart condition that finds nourishment and brings forth abundant harvest. It's a clear open heart. If you look at the heart of this person, the arteries are free-flowing, right? The heart is strong. Okay? That's a resting heart rate of maybe about 40 athletic conditions. Could go up to 120, 130, 140, no problem, for miles upon miles. Heart of an athlete. It does not lack commitment of God's promise. He perseveres in faith. And I love what commentator Daryl Bach wrote. He says, quote, One is unfailingly wedded to God's word. I love that word, wedded. He is unfailingly wedded to God's word. Like Psalm 1, like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, no leaves do not wither. It's that type of person. And by means of this perseverance, it produced harvest. Not only just few things, but plentiful. What did they produce? They produced love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. That's what they produce. You know what does it say? Hundredfold. Hundredfold. This fruit understands, not only understands, obeys. Because God has opened their minds and transformed. You know, no soil is good on their own. God makes it fertile. Because we submit to the word of God and we are out to obey. In verse 15, Luke mentions patience. And this is a key word. I want to shift your thinking a little bit. You know, we think of patience, someone who is kind of waiting on things, could work through things, you know, could wait out years upon years. But in this context, it's actually patience it focuses on more closer to perseverance. It's the quality that is needed, is required to bear up on the pressures of life, living faithfully. It is the opposite of falling away. And this is the true fruit of patience. This type of person, you know, as car burns fuel to convert it into energy, to make it go, 30, 40, 50, 70, 80, maybe some of you 120 miles per hour. Through his endurance, through his perseverance, through his obedience, it converts that energy into what? God's glory. God's glory. This is someone who genuinely appropriates his or her faith to produce the effects of life and the corresponding character to God's word. That's what this person is. This person, as a result of hearing the gospel, depends on God's word. Because his heart is strong. His character is strong. And character is determined to be wedded to God's word. So fourthly, last, the implications. So what point is Jesus making? Let's consider the four cases. So I would lump this. The first three cases are basically the same. Same form of different types of distraction. They ultimately fall away. The gospel does not take root in these types of heart conditions. 
the ultimate sacrifice is not paid. Gospel stops at a certain point. Like in a war, to achieve an objective, sacrifices must be paid. We knew when we sent young men of this country into Iraq, we may, not, we may get to that goal, but we knew that people would die. Americans would die on the deserts in the Middle East. We knew that. There were some costs that comes with achieving an objective, military objective. So it goes here. There are costs to be faithful to the gospel and ultimately to God's word. The only soil, only heart condition that arises from this is the fourth soil that attains God's favor. Attains salvation. And the goal of our Lord in teaching this parable is not just that of being one who's saved, but one that who reaches full maturity in bearing fruit. You know, we are not saved not only to just escape divine wrath and to live forever in heaven, live comfortably. No. What does Ephesians 4.13 say? To be fullness of the stature of Christ. John 15 says, to bear fruit. The goal is not to be just to save, be saved, but to persevere, to grow. To fall short of that, although we may have been saved, it's coming. We are called to be set apart, to go above that. This kind of person pleases God. So, what are those two implications? Number one, the first three cases, first three soil conditions, is the spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. Second, we call it spiritual disclosure. It's open to them. The first three cases is like the heart of the leaders of Israel. Their carnal minds of the Jewish leaders, scribes, Pharisees, who willfully persisted on spiritual ignorance, spiritual blindness. And Lord God, Christ, is allowing them to remain that way. Deliberately allowing them to be in that condition. And it's veiled to them. The Word of God is being veiled to them. It's hardening of their hearts. It's like what they say in cardiology. They hardens their heart, hardens their arteries, and the blood no longer flows through. And he, Jesus quotes Isaiah in Matthew's text, the same thing. Matthew thirteen fourteen says, You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the ears of this people has become dull. The ears of this people have become dull. And with their ears, they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. They should see with their eyes. And hear with their ears. And understand with their hearts. And return. I should heal them. He's quoting Isaiah 6. It perfectly describes the unbelieving Jews of his, Jesus' day. He's quoting the Old Testament. He chose this. Because he, they chose to ignore God and His Word. In a sense, this is a sad picture because God is, Jesus is locking them up in unbelief. It is a sad story. Jesus is implying this parable. The, the reason for these parables is Jesus is saying it is a warning, it's a judgment upon Israel. 
those who deliberately reject Him and His revelations and His teachings. They are judgment. They are carrying on the judgment of their self-blindedness. They're blinded and they're so hardened. Why? Why? Because of depravity. Because of sin. This is permanent depravity. There's no remedy to it. Only thing that happens is spiritual, cardiac arrest. It's a matter of time. There's nothing doctors could do. If Jesus can't operate on them spiritually, who can? Then, the fourth soil is the spiritual responsibility. As opposed to the first one, there's a greater implication. Is that it is the of purpose of grace. We need to be thankful as believers because we are all depraved. We were all depraved, but, but through the grace of God, the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ has taken root and we are showing some signs of fruit. It is truly a picture of Matthew 7.14, the narrow gate that leads to life. And this is it. It's very difficult. But God has made your heart a fertile land, a good soil. That is your heart condition. When men have faith in God's word and trust in His mercy and grace, God grants them salvation. And God grants them ability to trust and see the truth. And what does it say? More and more. That's how Christian grows to mature. Christians that are able to understand because God illuminates our hearts to be fertile. Why? Why is this such a big deal? Because we're so depraved. In Romans 3, 10, 13 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are like open grave. They, their tongues practice deceit. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, we were all under one of those three, first three heart conditions. We were locked up in that. There was no chance. But God's word, God decided to do a spiritual open heart surgery in your heart and made your heart fertile so the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ takes on root and grows. So what's the point of this? What's the point of having truth in your heart, taking a fruit? The true believers must bear fruit. True believers must practice what we have heard, what we have taught, and what we know the truth to be. That proves to be genuine, genuine salvation. That's the only difference. Others started a little bit, it died away. The only one that bears fruit is this one. This is a theology of God's Word in a nutshell. It caused people to respond and bear fruit and to mature. And those who use the truth, more is given. To those who hear it, even what appears to possess is taken away because their heart condition is not right. Just as final thoughts, I want to share a couple of things. And these four types of soil provide us as a grid uh, that we can categorize our heart conditions. I think that even as Christians, as an application to all of us, even as Christians, 
at any one particular time, we could have temporary any one of these four circumstances, any one of these four conditions. You know, the churches are full of people in the second and third condition. They are not saved. The Word of God does not dwell in them. They may in the, in the external. You know, my, my fear is, people, this is honestly me speaking from my heart, is that cornerstone is not exempt from this type of soul condition, heart condition. You know, look around you. There may be people in our midst that have been, been with us for a long time or just not growing and they're dying of the heart condition. The heart is sick. Unless there's someone goes in, examines it, and does surgery upon it. And only God can. What does scripture say? First John two nineteen. They went from us and they were not of us. For if they had been with us, that they have been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they may they might be manifest, and none of them were of us. The people in the church that may stay for a long time, maybe years upon years, maybe decades, were truly not of us, meaning Christians. We don't know, only God knows, truly, unless they bear fruit. And people could testify that that person is a Christian. Word of God dwells in that dwells in that person. And it is not for me to decide. I'm throwing this out there. It's between the individual and God. So my question is, what is your heart condition today? If God were to do a spiritual angiogram on you today, what would be the diagnosis? If God injected spiritual dye and saw the condition of your heart and revealed it to you, what would it be today? Is your heart being influenced by the things of this world or being plucked by the interests of this world? Let me be honest with people here today. Let me address both unbelievers and believers. Unbelievers who have yet to um, commit his or her life to Christ Christ and his church. And I ask you, what caused you to come here today, this Sunday, to this church? What caused your heart to come here this day? Perhaps you may be looking for a church. You're a Christian looking for a church. That's great. Perhaps you're looking, you came to church to make friends for a social thing. But the important thing is, whatever reason you came, if you don't have Christ in your heart, it is sad if you walk away today without knowing Christ. Because whether you know it or not, God is doing surgery on you. He's diagnosing you. Because from God's standpoint, which all that matters, the only reason for you to be here today is that God desires you to be saved God desires your heart to submit to the Word of God. Why? Because Scripture tells us so. 1 Timothy 2.4 God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowing knowledge of the truth. If you think the truth is in you, it's not. It's just your opinion. It's about worth as much as mine or anybody else. It doesn't matter. But Jesus says in John 14.6 I am the way, the truth, and the life. And everyone in here, especially if you're a non-Christian, if you have an unbeliever, you have to be committed. 
You need to deal with that. If you are that person, the light of gospel is shining on you. For the grace of God, you are here today. And God is diagnosing you. I plead with your heart that it may not be hardened. I plead for your heart that you would abide in His Word and allow it to take root. That God may not conceal the veil, the truth to you. Like the Pharaoh whose heart was hardened and they're defiled unbelief. I tell you, if you're that person, you're in dire need of spiritual heart surgery. In order for your heart to be made whole, healthy and fertile to the words of God, I urge you, allow God to do spiritual surgery on you. For believers, it is clear by today's text that Jesus is rewarding those who are concerned with the truth and knowing the truth. You know, again, like I said before, even as Christians, our hearts can be in a state of those first three conditions where growth is stagnant, maybe bothered by other weeds and causing fruit not to bear, maybe by the circumstances of life. So why does that happen? Why do we allow those things to to bother us, be an obstacle for us, and cause us to stop maturing or slow down our maturation process? Because why? Because we temporarily get into these situations where we are caught up with the world, caught up with pursuing things of the world. We lay aside God, our commitment, our responsibility to pursue things of life. And that happens when, because why? Sin. The spiritual plaque builds up in your arteries. And that needs to, you need to repent and to make it whole so that blood will just flow through again. If you're feeling angina, that means chest pains. If you're feeling spiritual chest pains, you need to repent. You need to get rid of your liberties. Lay aside pleasures, amusements, Entertainment and ultimately, ultimately all vanities, which is choking the spiritual oxygen from your heart. Because when that happens, as a person who's a weak heart, could only go so much. When I had that, when that was going on, I couldn't run for more than six or seven minutes. I just absolutely couldn't. As far as we'll go as Christians, you know, my brothers and sisters, it happened to me. I'm not going to ask God or pray to God to strip of your wealth or your health, your comforts and your securities. But sometimes, but sometimes, that might be the best spiritual bargain for all. I was in that state a year ago. I was stripped of my health, laying in bed, not knowing what's going to happen, putting my hands in the hands of the doctors. Who knew what was going to happen? There was a small chance, but there was a chance. You know, those of us who may think we're believers, you know, God, we have heard gospel preached hundreds, maybe thousands of times. But what is that happening? What occupies your heart? Sometimes it may just be an emotional security for those who are coming on Sundays. Maybe to, to satisfy your guilt conscience. You know, many may say that they will want to know the truth and have desire to follow it. 
the more important question to ask is if you have been exposed to church for a long time and the fruit is not evident in you, then from this teaching you should ask yourself if your heart is like the conditions of the first three soils. You should reconsider your position before God, who you are, what you're doing, and what is happening to what has been planted in your heart. Where has it been planted at all? Is it dying out? You know, I was in Missouri a couple weeks ago. In Missouri, all the license plates say what? Missouri is a show-me state. Right? As Christians, only way that we put, only way that we display that our genuine faith is to put it into practice. To, to live a life of obedience or be distracted or being plucked by outside influences and choked by the desires and interests of this world. I plead with you, everyone, believers and unbelievers alike, especially the unbelievers, be the fourth soil. For believers, remain fertile as the fourth soil. We should genuinely cherish our lordship we must follow with all our might so that the Word of God is triumphant and triumphantly bears fruit to a darkened world. That by our lives, by our obedience, that others would see Christ's reflection through our fruit. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your mighty words. It is so evident to us how powerful the Word of God is. But yet, the strength of it all bears no root, doesn't bear fruit, and is not allowed to grow because of our heart conditions. Our heart conditions are so critical, God. I pray for those people who have not yet trusted you. I pray that their hearts would be made fertile and they would see God and allow God to work in their hearts so that the seed that you plant today would bear fruit. Now I pray for our, the believers that we would live our lives in obedience, that we would practice what we have heard, what we have taught and what we have read. Live in obedience to you, that we may put everything into practice that we would live lives of godliness. We rely on your strength, your wisdom, and your guidance. May we be humble before you, God, that it is nothing of our own, but is all from you. In Jesus' name, amen.